This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. We are still responsible for our pleasure. We're also responsible for our vulnerability and our ability to receive, receive touch or receive um, compliments, affection, um, love even. And so when we, just by the nature of entering into relationships, there will be moments where we won't feel safe and that's vulnerability. Pleasure. What does that mean to you? And do you even feel like you deserve it? Well, after watching the recent Netflix series, The Principles of Pleasure, it seems we all have this question. So I'm speaking today with Dr. Kat Meyer, and she's a licensed psychotherapist specializing in sex, trauma, and ketamine-assisted therapy. She's also an author, yoga teacher, and international speaker dedicated to evolving the relationship we have surrounding sexuality and our bodies. She's also the host of of podcasts Eat, Play, Sex, and Erotically Wasted, and she's the founder of sexloveyoga.com, which is an online platform for education and programs on relationships, sexuality, and embodiment. And you can learn more about all of these things through the link in my show notes. Now, if you think this episode is about orgasms, take a listen to my interview with Dr. Rachel Rubin. So now we're going to talk about pleasure. And not to say that orgasms aren't pleasing. Dr. Kat, it's so nice to have you on the FemPower Health podcast. I'm going to be a bit vulnerable here and just say how intimidated I was to have you on. So a dear friend of mine attended Breakup Boot Camp, and she said to me, you have to have Dr. Jordana Jacobs, who I did recently interview, and Dr. Kat Meyer on your podcast. So I went on your Instagram profile, and I have to say, like, it's so clear how in touch you are with your sexuality, and you're so open to talk about it. And I thought, how am I even going to have this conversation? What do we talk about? So I went to my safety zone and I did research. I read your book. I watched The Principles of Pleasure on Netflix. I spoke with friends to better understand the types of things they were interested in learning. And I also listened to some of your episodes. So all of this desire, sexuality, it's a complex topic. So how do we really whittle it down? And what hit me when I listened to one of your podcast episodes is you had said, we all need to be our own pleasure activist. And before we keep going, because there are so many ways that we can talk about this, I thought it would be helpful for you to start out by sharing who you are, your own journey, and how you got to today. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. (laughs) So I am a licensed uh, psychotherapist and I specialize in sex uh, trauma and now ketamine-assisted therapy. So I've been combining the sex therapy work that I do with um, the power of uh, ketamine and psychedelics um, to be able to help us to move through that. And um, psychedelics have been actually been a big part of my own health and healing as well. I had experienced some sexual trauma early on in my life that led to me, um, parts of me wanting to be able to take care of me through eating disorders, through depression, through you know all these different strategies that we do to cope. Um, and then it wasn't until I was about 18 that I found yoga and that introduced me to a new way of just physically being in my body and then inspired me to start questioning, huh, how else can I live in, in this life? I'm from rural town, Missouri, and you know, you're given here, be like this in life. This is the traditional sense. And, you know, um, I also grew up Catholic. So there was a lot of guilt and a lot of shame around sexuality and a lot of, um, you know, sex was a painful, confusing thing for me already. And then add to it all of these 
um, dogma about how to how to be around sexuality, how to be with it or not be with it. So challenged my relationships. You know, I had a lot of fear, a lot of aversion to touch. A lot of relationships would last maybe a couple of weeks and, and then I would, they would approach sex and I would freeze up and clench and, and, you know, I shut down. And so I was reading a magazine, a Red Book magazine. I don't know if you remember that. Book. Oh, I remember Red Book. Heck yeah. It's my mom's magazine and I was reading it and they were quoting a sex therapist in there. And I don't even know what the article was about, but they quoted a sex therapist. And I was like, oh, you can be a sex therapist. And mind you, I hadn't even had sex yet, but it was that moment. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be that. And I know that it was coming from the archetype of the wounded healer because I wanted to heal myself. This was so painful for me to be in and I didn't want to be in that space. I wanted to feel differently. Uh, so that really was the point. Those those two points, yoga and that Red Book magazine article that really shifted things for me um, and started this trajectory of the, of the seeker, uh, getting curious, trying things out. I went and got my doctorate in marriage and family therapy. I specialize in LGBT and, and sexuality. And I, um, and then later on combined that with the trauma work, you know, I, I dove into all the different communities around sexuality from, uh, and, and yogic traditions like the, the tantric yoga and the, um, BDSM communities and the poly and the, and the swingers. And I, <laughs> so I feel like, uh, Everything that I've done is has been this one massive life jojo around sexuality and around body, you know, around the relationship with the body um, that I can really see now in retrospect how I've always been in in this path. Sometimes you don't know where you're going until on the other side you're like, oh, that's how things fit together. Thank you so much for sharing that because I feel like I did a crash course in all of this and looking at all the data points and trying to figure out what we should talk about today. <laughs> so, you know, um, you started talking about where you grew up and, and I grew up in Florida. I'm the daughter of immigrants from Hungary. And I remember growing up seeing in my family's homes, naked women on the walls. And this wasn't like a single man kind of a thing. These were married people and it was just no big deal. It was art. And yet in Florida with a lot of the mm -hmm. people I was surrounded by in my small town, it was extremely religious and had all these rules about sexuality. I mean, I even had a girl call me up and say, if you didn't, you don't read the Bible every day and, and preach the word of the Lord to everyone you meet, you are going to hell. And again, this is not a religious statement. It was more of just that like yeah. vocal, if you don't think this way, you're a bad person. And so my brain was so confused between this open world of this European culture and this very closed off feeling that I had. And it was the rules were just confusing. And I think this is a really good place to start. And you actually had two quotes that I love. So I'm just going to say them both. Cultural wounding, seeping messages of shame while saturating us with images of the idealized. And then the other quote is, the fear of rejection is made strong, shame. And to me, those were extremely powerful because as I spoke to friends in preparing for this episode, it seems like there's a couple of interesting dynamics out there. From what I've heard, there's the younger generation, like those who are in their 20s, where it's an anything goes society. And from what I've heard, they're actually beginning to struggle because they want to set parameters and are even going now to a place of not wanting to be with someone because of that uncomfort and not necessarily knowing how to set those boundaries. And then there's the other extreme of what you and I discussed right now, where there are all these societal norms of no, you can't, you shouldn't have. So talk to us about how that's playing a role in us being able to find um, our own pleasure and, and being that pleasure advocate for ourselves. We are in right now a sexual revolution. And I'm going to put that name out there because that also helps us to better see the patterns over the years of how this has also been um, been the case. It seems about every 50 years, we have a new sexual revolution. The 1920s was the roaring 20s. And we had, this was the age of the flappers. This was the age of, you know, the prohibition and, and um, sexuality being more professed in movies. 
Um, you had some some uh, writers even. Anis Nin wrote a lot of erotic stories. Um, you had people like Mae West or um, coming out and being overtly sexual and being very playful and, and flirty, which was, you know, totally opposite to what it had been, a lot more repressed and a lot more um, shut down right before that. And then you look at the, the 1970s, that's another sexual revolution. 50 years later, we're coming out of the 1950s where, you know, there was the wartime and the women were were at home and, and you know, in the kitchen <laughs> with the kids. And so we're seeing another 50 years later, we're going through another sexual revolution. And I think this sexual revolution is really emphasizing the um, deconstruction and the demystification of identities, the concept of identification. Um, this one is all about us looking at how we're both identifying ourselves, we're identifying our sexuality, how we're identifying our relationships, and we're questioning these words. Because the whole concept of identif uh, identity is a construct that we we assume the same word means the same thing across people, and that's not the case. That's one of the first things that I ask in my therapy sessions or anytime I'm working in group settings is, how do you identify intimacy? How do you identify marriage? How do you identify sex? How do you identify uh, relationship? Because when you see, especially if I'm working with two couples, they have two different identities or two different definitions, but they assume and project that the other person has the same definition because it's the same word. And so I see this younger generation right now who are, uh, they are the children of the generation that started more of an emphasis on self-development. So we have been going through this process of of uh, understanding our own inner patterns, understanding our own inner uh, landscape of of desires, of needs, of patterns of behavior, of core belief systems. And so now we're having kids and these kids are brought up in a world where they're given books and they're being talked about mental health and they're um, understanding from a younger age the concept of gender or uh, how gender can be is a uh, social construct as much as it is a biological. You know, and so these kids are brought up with in an age of... Uh, question and curiosity. But what we also know is that there is a benefit to having structure. There is a benefit to having identities because it helps us to create shortcuts in our mind to, to quickly reference how I'm supposed to interact with somebody or how I'm supposed to react in any given moment. You know, the brain is this whole file cabinet of all these things that we understand of the world. And so by these reference points, by these experiences, you know, we're, that's what creates this file system. And so I, I don't want to demonize uh, identity as much as I do want to encourage that, you know, this, uh, can we hold both the the dichotomy of uh, the shadows and the benefits of it, you know, where the challenges are and where the benefits of it are. Um, so as this generation is asking all these questions and, and you used um, anything goes, how can we also set up some structure for, for them in their own self-inquiry? And I think uh, really highlighting, emphasizing self-inquiry as um, teaching them skills of discernment so that they can come to their own understanding and they're not just left with, well, I don't know, figure it out, you know, or I don't know, don't I choose not to identify because that's the, that, that's the trendy thing to do right now is just go with everything. Uh, but teaching them how to discern so that they can more consciously uh, consent and they can identify what their own boundaries are. Boundaries as it exists through um, limits of availability or limits in their desires or um, what's mine versus theirs or what, what do I want versus what do they want? And, and um, I know that's a lot of, of concepts I just tossed at you, but I think these concepts aren't, like you said, they're complex and they're multi-layered and, and, and to see the inter-influence of, of many different angles helps us to understand them with more compassion rather demonizing and, and then say, throw out all the labels, <laughs> throw out all the identities. Yeah. 
And that applies to everyone, no matter the age, right? It's it's throw out the labels. And so it's funny because, you know, there's another couple of quotes. There's actually a few that I want to share because I think they will so resonate. So one is, knowing what we want can feel like a burden. Another is, I shudder not from the cold, but internal conflict between my own pleasure and fighting propriety. And then... My body confuses, does she flow because she wants it, while my brain tells me no. Those to me are, it's, it's a whole, again, it's a pleasure, desire, intimacy. I mean, there's so many different terms. I'm sure if we broke them down, they all mean different things. But I just saw such great quotes in your beautiful poems. And I truly do recommend that everyone read your book because I feel like you could almost thumb through the book and say, this is my struggle right now and get such inspiration and feel so heard in your words. But I would love to talk about how we can get there because you even write about how to resolve the mind, heart, and body who argue. So how do we start to go about resolving it? So is it truly pleasure that we're seeking and struggling to find, or is it something else, and and how do we get there? Yeah, and we'll have to define what pleasure is too. So, so to look again at the macro, to look at the this collective consciousness that that we exist in, um, there is already a punishment ethos, which means that we have a tendency to make decisions based out of uh, avoidance of criticism or pain. Our brains operate from uh, naturally, spontaneously. It's more of a um, a negative bias, which means that it has a tendency to both pick out the negative uh, potential stressors or dangers in the environment than it does the things that feel good. And that's just from a biological survival stance of the how the nervous system operates. Your nervous system is constantly communicating with your environment and it contracts and expands, your body contracts and expands, and your nervous system's release of the specific hormones that it needs is all uh, in response to what, how it's identifying these cues, whether it's safety or whether it's something that's dangerous or um, threat or stress. And so that's the first piece to really understand what's what's happening um, on the cultural as well as the the biological standpoints um, as that relates to pleasure. Okay, now real quick before we continue, is that just women or both men and women? This is a cross gender identification. <laughs> this is human. Yeah, our our nervous systems are responding in this way. So. Already, we have those that are um, that are making it harder necessarily to access pleasure. And when I'm saying pleasure, pleasure is simply um, the enjoyment of the world around you, um, and it's accessed through or with a regulated nervous system state. So when we feel safe. Or when we have enough cues in our environment that the nervous system is translating to, it is safe for you, your body relaxes. When your body relaxes, your sensory receptors can open and you can feel pleasure. It's really hard, if not near, it's really challenging to experience pleasure when you're not feeling safe because pleasure is not a high priority of, um, you you need to get away from the tiger. (laughs) You need to survive if you're picking up feelings of uh, danger or stress, right? So that, yeah, ends up not being high on our priority list. But we can, so if if we're living consistently like this, then our nervous system is trained to stay more constricted. It is trained to send more hormones out into the body to keep you in more of a fight or flight mode or freeze mode in order to navigate and manage the the, um, stressors in the environment. We can retrain the nervous system to be able to hold more, uh, more energy, more experience of pleasure, more enjoyment in the body, but we have to be willing to practice the awareness of what either feels neutral or feels good in the body. 
and stay with that longer, savor those a little bit longer. And I'll, and I'll tell you how, um, in order to continue to expand your ability to hold more. Um, and here's, here's a really good example of how I see women, um, in sex, um, how this is really helpful for women in sex. So for me personally, I had a really hard time with receiving touch. My whole body would flutter. I would get uh, contracted and I would pull away from touch. It was very aversive. Um, uh, my nervous system translated that as danger. But working with a somatic uh, practitioner, and this particular person was Reiki oriented, so they were a lot attuned to subtle energies. Working with them consistently on a weekly basis actually helped me to train my body to relax and stay open and then start to enjoy touch and reprogram in my uh, somatically in my body and in my mind that it is safe to receive touch again. So similar with women, if they have a low threshold of what they can tolerate as it, as it exists with uh, intense amounts of energy coursing through their body or pleasure moving through their body, pleasure is just an expansion of energy through the body as well. Um, that feels good. When we're approaching orgasm, you know, and, and we're moving, the body's arising and, and we're building up more and more pleasure to reach orgasm. We can, uh, for some of us, we may stop our partner right before we have our orgasm because it's too intense. We're like, stop, 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 stop. Or we're like, ah, it's getting too much, too much. But that's because the body's squeezing, 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 contracting and trying to, to, to reach this point that it's, it's almost like, yeah, hitting that ceiling of the threshold. But if instead we taught ourselves, I'm safe, I can relax and we relax the pelvic floor, we relax the the legs we relax the body and we breathe we breathe more fully you can actually break that ceiling of what you thought you could experience the uh, the theory of the upper limits like we hit an upper limit and we don't think that we can hold more you can break that ceiling and step into a higher state of being able to receive more energy more orgasm more pleasure in the body than what is in reference in your own mind up to that point so I've interviewed a lot of experts on a lot of different topics, and one of the themes is we don't know what we don't know. And so let's say I'm trying to get to the place that you're talking to us about, and either I'm not sure how to get there or I'm struggling to realize that what I have, there can be more to <laughs> that. So how would I even be able to assess that gap and know there's a higher place to get to, so to speak? <laughs> because the potential of what you can feel is infinite and what you can learn is infinite too. And, the, and I say that with a caveat too, because we can also um, fall into the trap of not enoughness and get stuck in this loop. We can see this happening in the wellness industry as well, of, you know, with all the marketing of you need this, you need this, you need this. You're not self-caring well enough here. You need this product. You need this product, right? And so I say that with a caveat, your sexual potential, your pleasure potential is infinite as long as you stay curious about it. And curious is a state of being that is without judgment. Um, and that's a different, that's very, very different than, um, going into these exercises with, I'm not enough. I haven't experienced that orga intervaginal orgasm. Therefore I'm not enough. Therefore I have to buy all these products in order for me to get there. You don't, <laughs> there's also nothing wrong with you. If you approach it with more openness and curiosity and, and, um, exploration, then your body can relax into it and you can experience a lot more pleasure along the way. And then once you experience some of those, uh, you know, other types of orgasms, you may be like, oh, that was cool. That was amazing. Wow, that was fun. You know, which is, again, very different than if you're trying to chase an orgasm, you end up contracting your body unconsciously because, again, your nervous system is picking up something that that's dangerous that, or that's a, uh, bad that you haven't reached an orgasm yet in that way. And so we don't want to program that into, into us in our, on our journey too. Um, one way... One way that I teach my, um, really any gender identifying person, um, how to expand that ability for themselves um, is the practice of glimmers and glows. So in any given moment, you have access to pleasure in your environment. 
I purposely leave my windows open and there's birds outside. I have a bunch of trees around me. And so the birds will chirp. And while I'm here sitting with my clients on Zoom, I will hear those birds and my body expands. I will viscerally feel, because I'm so connected to my body, I will feel my body relax or expand, or I'll notice that my, you know, like I'll feel my, my uh, mouth turn up. It feels so pleasurable to hear those birds or to feel the wind come in. That is a glimmer. It is a momentary fleeting experience of an expansion of the body of something that feels good in the body. Now, if we hold on to that glimmer and we consciously connect with it and savor it a little bit longer, hold on to that experience a little bit longer, it turns into a glow. At least about 30 seconds of holding that glimmer, it turns into a glow. And once you're practicing more of those glows, you are training your nervous system and your mind to, to be able to hold more pleasure and to recognize more pleasure in your environment. So you start picking up things more uh, spontaneously that feel good versus being stuck in this negative bias of the brain that wants to pick out everything that might be more dangerous or threatening. So that is a great skill that everybody can access, but then I would also expand that practice by adding in breath. Breath can help to relax the body, can help to open the body and can help to regulate your nervous system so that you can access more pleasure. You can access more sensuality. Sensuality is the, um, it, again, the enjoyment, the pleasure of um, the world through your five senses. So breath and even sound, so vibrating, you know, letting out a hum, letting out singing, letting out a sigh, all of that vibrates your vagus nerve, which we know helps us to be able to shift into a regulated nervous system state too. So, and then movement, add movement to that. So breath, sound, and movement. Movement helps us to break open the body and the stagnancy and the, the uh, rigidity of our fascia from being so tense and controlled and, and tight in the body. So glimmers and glows, breath, sound, and movement. Those would be my tools to be able to help somebody to really expand their pleasure and to pick things, make decisions based on what feels good. Let things be frivolous. Things don't have to always be so logical and so rational. <laughs> In fact, I don't think that they should. <laughs> but the frivolousness and the enjoyment actually helps us to be able to move through some of these challenges that we have otherwise. That makes a lot of sense. And thank you so much for sharing the practical examples. Because, you know, I've interviewed experts like Dr. Rachel Rubin on orgasm, but it came from a very medical perspective and it was extremely helpful and enlightening. But I think a lot of people may want to know the how. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I love that your examples are realistic and they're simple. And I guess one of the questions that I do have then is some people may have initially signed into this podcast thinking pleasure equals orgasm. And this is the thing we must achieve. And you're laying it out so much more simply. So I guess maybe going back to this definition of pleasure slash the expectations that we put on ourselves, how can we, while doing the work that you had just suggested, get to know who we are and what our pleasure is, while at the same time reducing the noise of society and culture? So a big part is developing a relationship with your body. You know, your body is constantly talking to you, like I was mentioning, but it also talks to you by what you need on the inside. So it picks up cues on the inside just as much as it picks up cues on the outside. And so your body's constantly telling you what it needs. I need water. I need rest. I need to go play. I need to movement. And we're in such a culture of product over productivity that many of us have fallen into the, um, the pattern of uh, overriding our body. You know, this whole concept of mind over, over body or push through the pain. If you no pain, no gain. And those are cultivating a, um, <laughs> essentially an abusive relationship to our body because we're telling our bodies, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I know better. And, <laughs> and we're going to do what I say, but 
then we end up with things like chronic fatigue. We end up with autoimmune. We end up with diseases of the body because we're not honoring what it actually needs to take care of itself. The body's incredibly intelligent. So um, three different strategies that I, that I teach my um, clients to work with to help develop that relationship with our body. The first one is attention, and that is paying attention to the fluctuations of the body, paying attention to your hunger, getting curious about what your body's saying to you, whether it's pain, whether it's expansion, whether it's exhaustion. You know, I'm uh, still recovering from COVID that I had a couple weeks ago, and it's been, okay, I can push through this and be, you know, try to be as productive as I can. But because I've developed such a trusting relationship with my body, that would feel like such a betrayal, first of all. And it would probably overextend the healing, the time it takes for the healing, because I'm not letting my body do what it actually needs to do. I'm letting a, a cultural uh, pressure to push me forward into doing something that's not true for me. Um, and that also causes a lot of inflammation in the body. When we, when we override the body, that's why we're getting so inflamed and getting puffy and getting achy in the body or having brain fog. So we really need to pay attention to the body and let it uh, give it breaks, give it snacks, give it water, give it a nap, give it what it needs instead. Uh, the second one is allowance. And so that ties in with the attention. Attention is, is being mindful to the fluctuations of the body. Allowance is giving it permission to need what it needs, to go as slow as it needs to, to not race it or rush it or to give a break and say, hey, I can't hang out tonight. Um, and then the third one is affection. How often are we caressing our body, touching our body? How are we um, giving it, yeah, giving it attention? You know, for some of us, it may be doing our hair and doing our makeup. Maybe it's a breast massage. Maybe it's looking down at our, at our vulva or pussy and saying, hey, gorgeous, how are you today? You know, and developing that relationship with her. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, many of my women, I start with them and teach them the concept of breast massage and how important that is for lymph lymph drainage and and support for cancer you know reducing cancer uh, risks and and even just developing the sensitivity in our breasts and so many of my women um or will start crying in the middle or, or come back to me and tell me that during their practice they started crying uh, because they feel numb there they feel disconnected um, they've had negative relationships with their breasts all their life and so it's it's also a very healing experience to give yourself affection. You know, are we putting lotion on after our shower and are we taking our time and really just being with ourselves? And, and so those three A's can really transform this relationship with ourselves when we start tuning into uh, and really understanding the voice of the body. As much as it is these fluctuations and as much as some of the reactions of our body are from, you know, results of past experiences or distresses we've had in our, our lives, we won't be able to discern the difference until we develop that relationship. No, that's very true. And, you know, you have a quote in one of your poems as children, we run around free all because it feels good. Mm -hmm. And we really lose that as we get yeah. older because of all these norms. And I also love that you said it's brave to love ourselves. I love, love, love that. So what's it like for you to hear your own beautiful mm -hmm. words? Because I see yeah. that you're breathing them in as we're talking and they're truly beautiful. You know, I have done a lot of work to be able to receive, you know, attention and affection and love from from other people. And so so I've noticed and other people have called this out to me, too, where where the, on podcasts or on interviews, they say, when I'm giving you, uh, you know, praise or when I'm telling you something, you breathe, you take a breath. And, I, and then I'm like. Oh, yeah, I do. And I think it's just an automatic. Now it's automatic of 
breathing, relaxing the body so that I can receive the words. And, and in this culture, you know, growing up, how I know for me, at least in rural town, Missouri, we were taught to uh, minimize the compliments or somebody tells us something and then we give them a compliment back. Oh, I love your shirt. Oh no, girl, I love your hair. Or I haven't, or, or we, or we downplay it. You know, um, I haven't washed my hair in days. Thank you. You know, <laughs> and it's just so bizarre that we're not allowing ourselves to receive. So even receiving is such a somatic experience. <laughs> Well, then I feel especially honored to be able to share your words back with you because they truly were beautiful. And by the way, the book, the way it's designed is you have tons of beautiful poetry. And with that, you summarize different aspects of sex, love, yoga, and then you write paragraphs about these same topics. So it's a beautiful combination, both very educational mm -hmm. and inspirational. So when I was watching the Netflix special um, Principles of Pleasure, they brought up an interesting dynamic. And so I'm really glad I watched it because now it's a great question based on what you shared. So what they were talking about is there's all these tools, right, for us to get to know our bodies. But then one of the people that was being interviewed said, but now other humans come into play. So what do we do <laughs> then? Because that changes the dynamic. And... I guess, how is it that we can be so in touch with ourselves? And is it really just about good communication skills? And I'm curious if you've seen this question also come up with your clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you're saying pleasure, are you referring to sex with another partner or? Yes. So if you figured out what your own pleasure is, you've gotten in touch with your own body. I guess I'll just get vulnerable and say this. I've had a lot happen, like both my parents have passed away, I went through years of fertility treatments, my marriage recently ended, and I've never realized how much all of this stuff weighed on me until it was all done and no longer impacting me. And now I feel like I'm in this stage of self-exploration because for the first time in probably 25 years, I have the space to learn who I am. But it's hard because then with other people coming into my life, and this isn't just about sex or anything, right? But it's how do I keep what I've learned now and not change what I know works for me and still feel safe? Just because you've done this work doesn't mean that you're now absent of distress or fear or pain in the body. <laughs> and it's almost like, and I think that's the the trap loop of the um, wellness industry too, of, uh, you know, like we can be on this journey forever and ever and ever. There is no end point. It's not healed healed with a definition, meaning that I'm just going to be absent of, you know, distress or, or um, activations of past experiences, we can do a lot in reducing the intensity, duration and frequency, but they can still come up. We are still responsible for our pleasure. We're also responsible for our vulnerability and our ability to receive, receive touch or receive um, compliments, affection, um, love, even. And so when we, just by the nature of entering into relationships, there will be moments where we won't feel safe and that's vulnerability. It doesn't feel safe, but you are safe. So there's a difference between those two statements that I think is really important for all of us. Uh, we enter into a healthy relationship. We're still at times going to feel unsafe, even though we're very safe with this person. And that's just because, you know, of these past experiences that we've had and just the nature of vulnerability. So it's important for us to, to be able to discern, do I have enough information from this person that this is somebody that I can trust and share a little bit more about myself and lean into that, even though this feels really scary and I'm, I'm sobbing while I'm telling this person or letting this person in a little bit more. Um, and we've gained enough information that we know that, that we can trust this person, or we might go into the experience and realize mm, this person can't hold me the way that I need, or they aren't able to respond to me that way that I need. And, uh, so that's just by the nature of being in a relationship. Now add in sexuality 
And it, we may go on this whole experience about learning about our sexuality and, and really empowering ourselves and who we are as sexual beings. And we enter into sex and there's another person. Now, how do we operate with this other person? And the, and the, the awesome thing about our sexuality is that we can be the whole sexual experience. We are responsible for our orgasm, not them. So if we're, if we're putting onto them that they have to have all these skills and all these things and all these abilities, uh, and we're not actually taking the responsibility and taking the, the steering wheel of discovering what that is for ourselves, then, then the sex can't be as, as good as it, as it could be. You know, it's almost like we're outsourcing our pleasure. We're outsourcing our orgasms. We're outsourcing feeling good to somebody else. But you bring in all of these, all of these skills that you've learned, you, you bring in um, your pleasure, you bring in your embodiment, you bring in your um, body acceptance, whether you're at body love or body acceptance or not, you bring that into the sexual space and you can end up creating a, what we call a pleasure loop. So you're in your pleasure and that feeds into the other person. They seeing you and your pleasure actually gets them in pleasure. And then them being in pleasure of being of pleasuring you feeds back into you because you're seeing their face and you're noticing that they're having a great time. So you can relax and you don't have to take responsibility for their good time. And we can all relax into pleasure. Again, pleasure can only happen when we relax into it rather than when we tighten into it. So you're adding to everyone benefits from your pleasure. And I know theoretically, we understand that. And I remember in the movie, they were joking. They're like, okay, so there's this thing called communication. And the people that they were talking to were saying, well, how do we even begin to say what we want to do? And, you know, it, it seems to be a common struggle where we all get to knowing what we want our pleasure to be. And then how do we have that conversation? Of course. Yeah. And there's a whole art in communication. <laughs> you know, there's so many, you know, there's so many tools that we can learn about communication. And, and um, but I, I think it, it boils down to first, you learning about what you want, which is a very hard thing for so many of us. And because of so many layers of conditioning too, you know, if I, um, I'm from, again, rural town, Missouri, it's a very common thing to say, okay, where do you want to go to eat for a restaurant? Oh, I don't care. I'm easy. Where do you want to go? You know, it's an automatic reaction where I'm not even thinking. And so how many of us have been conditioned that it's selfish to ask for what we want? Um, uh, like you quoted me earlier, there's a responsibility once we know what we want to be able to ask for it. Um, how many of us freeze up, you know, or get go blank when somebody asks us, what do we want? Because uh, it's such a, um, there's an element of risk there too, of vulnerability. I'm asking for what I want. Do I deserve to ask what it, for what I want? Um, if, if what I want is not um, in alignment with that, what that person wants? Is that going to threaten our relationship? Um, are they going to reject me? Are they going to say no when I vocalize and ask for something that I want? So there's, there's a lot there. I think the first step is to give yourself permission just to get curious and start asking the questions about it, even before you get to the point of being able to ask for what you want and just exploring and looking and discovering and looking online or asking questions, reading books. And then what, what your body expands to or what you get excited or what you get flutters in your body towards. Then be like, ooh, let's follow that and see what's there. Got it. And so then when you're bringing this to a partner to have a dialogue, like I always start with uh, some sort of appreciation, appreciation for the partner, for um, uh, something that they do around sex or something that they do in the relationship that makes you feel good or makes you feel desired. Because when we start with an appreciation, um, it can help to lower de our defenses. Because when we're going into these topics of conversation, we're like, oh my God, do I suck as a lover? Am I doing something wrong? Am I... So... Helping the person to feel seen, helping both of us to feel seen can, can reduce that defense a bit more. 
Um, then to be able to communicate, you know, things that we want on a spectrum of curiosity. You know, is this something that I'm curious about that I just want to explore and talk about? Um, is this a fantasy that I have that I want to share a whole fantasy with you? And maybe we play this out or, or maybe we even uh, share the fantasy while we're making love or while we're having sex together. Or is this something that I want to bring into action? So there's a whole spectrum that sometimes we're afraid if we introduce something, if we ver verbalize something that the other person's going to think that we're going to actually want to do it. And that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes we just have a fantasy about it, or sometimes we're just curious about, uh, I don't know, polyamory, and but we're, we don't actually want to do it. We're just like, I, this is a really interesting concept that I've been hearing on podcasts. And I'd love to talk about it without triggering the partner into fear that this is something that we want to do. So I would love to hear your thoughts on something that when I talk about sexual health on the podcast, I love to ask people because I do feel like there are these false metrics and I've heard some really interesting responses. So I'd love to hear yours. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, this actually reminds me of a story of when I was a intern, when I was a therapist intern before I had my hours. And my uh, supervisor asked me that. She said, how do you define normal? And I went through this whole like social justice definition around, you know, the concept of normal is, is an illusion. You know, everybody is an individual. <laughs> and and um, we... Gosh, I, I think I even went into talking about the stigmas around the concept of normal and how we all want to feel like we belong. Um, there's an innate desire to want to belong and feel safe in community. And and yet at the same time, like what is what's true for us, what's authentic to us is is not actually going to be the same as everybody else. And I went through this whole long thing. And then she goes in. She's like that's wrong. And she turned to the other intern and she asked her the same question. And the other intern was like, it's a, it's 30% standard outside of the standard deviation of the, of the bell curve or something like that. And she was like, she was like, correct. And I was like, what the fuck? I wish I would have met you in college. We would have totally hung out because I really like to challenge thinking and, and oh my God, that's absolutely hilarious. So I think we answered the question without a direct answer. So I hear you. And I just wanted you to say that because I think it's important. And the other thing I find interesting is shouldn't our desires and what gives us pleasure change? So this week it's X and next week it's Y. And so consent is almost at every instance, correct? Yes. Yes, yes. And this is so important. And this ties back to what I was talking about with the nervous system. We naturally are dynamic human beings, which means that we fluctuate moment to moment, day to day, month to month, year to year. Um, we, <laughs> this comes back to even the conversation around identity. We fluctuate at a moment to moment, day to day, year to year. And to actually honor what's authentic to the body means that we have to be, keep checking in. We have to keep paying attention to the body and how it's responding to something in the moment. So consent is a living process. It is not fixed. We are not fixed beings. Therefore, consent cannot be a fixed concept. So if we are able to check in with ourselves. Does this feel good to me? And then we enter into whatever the action is. Does this continue to feel good to me? And then even after the experience, did that feel good to me? We're developing a deeper trust with and relationship with our body. And we're able to connect with what where we actually are in the moment. Consent can be revoked and chained at any time. And that's important to emphasize as well. Just because we said yes one moment and then we started doing the thing and then our body contracts, we no longer actually want to do it. How many of us will override that so that we don't hurt the other person's feelings or so that we don't make an awkward situation or that we don't come across as weak or prude? And that, and then on the other side of that, we feel nauseous, we feel sick or we feel shut down because the body 
needed to do that because it was telling us no this whole time. So as we practice consent with ourselves, we can also practice consent with other people, as in um, ch keep checking in with them. Does this feel good? Does can this continue to feel good? Did that feel good? And that's how we can hold that, facilitate that for somebody else. I love this. And what I love about our discussion, and again, closing the loop back to what I'd mentioned earlier about being so intimidated when I saw your Instagram profile, because you clearly had this openness that I know I certainly desire. Um, but when we talk about pleasure at the root of it, it's about what feels good to us. And it's all these simple things the little things that we do every day to get to know what that is, to be prepared for the most intimate moments of life is almost what I'm hearing. So it's not, it's this, or it's that, or if only we can get to this specific exact thing, it's really our own definition. Yeah, yeah, discernment for what's true for us, yeah. It is, and I just think that you're truly amazing. And I love everything you've had to say in your poetry. So a couple of others that I wanted to end with, and I actually marked up my paper saying these are the last quotes to share in the episode. So I timed it out because I did want to close on these. So one is love, be my teacher, show me the way. And then the other is a question that I think um, we should ask ourselves. And it's something from your book. What would we experience should we step back from the game? And I just think it's such a good question for everyone to ask themselves. And after hearing your wise words, it's mm. it's just, it's such a beautiful way, way to end. <laughs> when you are making decisions, check in with that part, the, that, um, the emotional part, the part that, that um, the frivolous part, the part that just wants something that feels good. Check that. Uh, invite pleasure in your decision-making process. That's and invite other people. Does that feel good? You know, asking other people about their decisions. You know, what would feel good for you? Because as pleasure activists in this world, you know, we are going against the cultural conditioning around um, criticism and avoidance of pain and um, negativity, and we need to ask ourselves just as much: what's the logical thing? But what actually just feels good? for me. I love that. Thank you so much for your work. And you know, it's always a joy. I think people who have really struggled to overcome things and then become a teacher for others, it's probably one of the most valuable gifts that we can give to people. So thank you for gifting us with your wisdom and vulnerability and teachings. No pun intended. Thank you. Thank you. This was so much fun, Kat. 